you can have my heart. You can have my heart. And you can have our church. And you can have my life. And you can have my past. And you can have my future. Because I know you have my present. Aren't you glad that whether you're at a campus or online today, that you chose to gather around the comforting, encouraging, and life-changing presence of Jesus? I think today is a great example of what we've been talking about, about strengthening ourselves in the Lord, living with the heart of a king and moving forward because you can feel the goodness of God today even as we come and gather around him regardless of the situations or circumstances in the world. And so I didn't want to just move past that. I just kind of want to draw your attention to, I mean, we are meeting with God and that's what we have been doing. And in the midst of that, he is working a deep work in your life and in my life, wherever you are. And so Come on, even let's just welcome each other together and honor the Lord just for his goodness, for his presence, for the unity we have in our church. Come on, you, you can have my heart, Jesus. You can have our church. And so I'm excited about where we are and the direction that we're going. This week is Hope on the Move Thanksgiving Groceries. And I know... You've been hearing all the details and all the stuff about that. Here's what I want you to just hear from me. I really want to encourage and challenge every person in our church to participate in some way, shape or form. It's going to take all of us to feed more than a thousand families. But this year we've had more opportunities to serve this city than maybe any year before this. And so there's this incredible opportunity. It's going to take all of us to do it. And I just want to encourage you, do whatever you can do. If you can bring one can, then bring one can. If you can do a car full of groceries every single day this week, then do a car full of groceries every single day this week. One of the greatest ways you find hope for yourself is by giving it away to others. We are a movement of hope for the city and beyond, and this is why we exist to do things just like this. So I challenge every person in our church, step out of yourself for five minutes And do what you can do in Jesus' name. Okay, we are in a series called The Heart of a King. And we're taking a couple weeks to look at the life of King David to read through First and Second Samuel together. And we are almost done. We're going to finish up this series next week. Some of you are like, hallelujah. I can't wait for it to be over. But I've loved this series. And I hope it's been inspiring and challenging to you. Ephesians chapter four says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It's like God is speaking to you in this time of your life. And he's saying, come on, live a life worthy, worthy of who I am and who you are and the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus and the spirit of the living of God that's inside of you. Live a life worthy of your calling. That you have a calling upon your life to live with the heart of a king, to live a life of royalty and virtue. Nobility and honor and humility and submission and passion, not to live down to this world, but to live up to the kingdom of God. We all start with this heart of an orphan, the heart of a rebel, the heart of a slave, the heart of a Pharisee. But when we invite Jesus to become the king of our heart, he gives us the heart of a king. And when you know you are royal, it doesn't make you selfish, it makes you selfless because kings spend their lives for the good of others and the glory of God. 
We've literally been empowered by God to rule and reign with him. To rule doesn't mean to lord over. It means to come under and lift up and to reign. Which literally means to release the victory of Jesus through our life into every area of authority and influence we have. In fact, this is why Revelation chapter 5, I love this. It says, for you, talking about Jesus, have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our gods and we shall to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Come on. This is saying that because of the finished work of Jesus, every person, no matter who they are, what their background is like, what their life looks like, has the opportunity to become a king and reign with him in Jesus name. And this takes faith, doesn't it? It takes faith to believe that you're a king, even when you're aware that you're often living like a rebel. It takes faith to believe that you are who God says you are, regardless of how you feel. And this is the journey that we're all on. I mean, have you ever seen somebody love their enemy? It's the heart of a king. Have you ever seen somebody bless someone else at great cost to themselves? That's the heart of a king. Have you ever seen somebody be a hope carrier in the area of influence that they have? That's the heart of a king. Have you ever seen somebody invite somebody else to church? That's the heart of a king. And Jesus is the greatest example of royalty of what the heart of a king looks like. And as we follow him, he's shaping and molding us into his image and his likeness, which means he's putting within us this heart of a king. And it's like every command that God gives to you, he's saying, this is what a king would do. And my spirit has empowered you to now rise to that standard in Jesus name. And so for the last few weeks, we've talked about what the heart of a king looks like, kind of the character of a king. But here's the question. What do kings do? Like, how do they spend their time? What is the life of a king really all about? Well, it's really, really simple. Let me show you. Kings are on mission to see every person experience a kingdom life. This is what kings do. Kings are on mission to see every person experience a kingdom life. And this is where we get confused because in our mind, we think kings are selfish. The kings are self-focused, that they're self-centered, that they're elite and, and higher than thou, that they live for themselves. Personal happiness, personal ambition, personal agenda, uh, personal issues. No, 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 no. That's just the heart of an orphan in a king's role. A king is on mission. They're on a mission to see every person experience a kingdom life. Like they want to see people experience the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They want to see people experience faith, hope, and love. They want to see people experience the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace and the kindness and the power of God. They want to see people experience a restored identity, a reconciled relationship, a redeemed purpose. They want to see God's ways come and his paths live out and his principles released. They want to see every area of life in alignment and agreement with the Lordship of Jesus. They want to see the works of the devil be destroyed. They know that the grace of God has handpicked them and lifted them to the area of influence that they have. So now they want to spend their life making sure every person in every area of life gets to experience what the kingdom is all about. In fact, this is why in Matthew 6, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, here's literally what he's saying. He's saying, you should pray your kingdom come, 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus is telling us, he's saying this is how kings live. This is how kings think. This is how kings dream. They dream that God's kingdom would come to every person in every area of life. They dream that God's will would come to every person in every area of life. He's saying this is what the heart of a king really looks like. If he's teaching us how to pray and he's teaching us how to live as kings and he says this is how you should pray, then this is the heart of a king. And what I love is this is how David lived. If you look at the life of David from beginning to end, you will never find an extended period of time where David didn't live on mission. In fact, Acts chapter 13, I love this. It says, for when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and he was buried with his fathers. This verse is profound. It says that David served God's purpose in his own generation. Do you realize that God has a purpose for every generation? He has a purpose for you and he has a purpose for you in your generation. And once David finished that purpose, finished that mission, then he died. Isn't it interesting that all the battles and all the giants and all the wars that David went to fight, he never had to be afraid when he was on mission. Why? Because he hadn't finished God's purpose in his generation yet. You don't have to be afraid of dying early when you spend your life accomplishing God's purpose in your generation because he's still got more for you to do on his mission. And this was David. From a teenager till the end of his life, he was on mission. When he went out to shepherd his father's sheep, he was on mission. When he took supplies to his brothers on the front line, he was on mission. But when he went and fought Goliath, when no one else had the courage to, he was on mission. When he played the harp, worship music, aren't you glad we're done with harps in Jesus' name and we got something else? But when he played the harp, you play the harp, I love you, bless you. But when he was playing the harp for Saul, who was demonically oppressed, he was on mission to see the kingdom come. When he went and fought against the enemies of God, he was on mission. When he tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, he was on mission. When he set up the Tabernacle of David, 24 hours of worship and prayer, he was on mission. When he, when he led the people to walk in God's ways, in God's path, he was on mission. It was like from a teenager to the end of his life, everything was about mission. Because that's the heart of a king. And he's not the only king to live that way. Check out this. Jesus talking about Jesus at the end of his life when he's standing before Pilate about to be crucified. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world. Isn't it interesting? Jesus says, you are right in saying that I am a king. And then he tells us what's unique about kings. Kings understand the cause for which they are born and the cause for which they have come. Jesus knew exactly why he was there and what he was doing. The mission that he was on to see the kingdom come in your life. He came to seek and save that which was lost. So my question for you is, do you know the cause for which you were born? And do you know the cause for which you have come into the world? And are you serving God's purpose in your generation? Because you see, once you lose your purpose, you'll lose your hope. And once you lose your hope, like we said last week, you, you lose your life. Kings are on mission. And all you have to do is go back to Genesis, the beginning, the creation. When God made us, God blessed them. Talking about Adam and Eve. He blessed them with what? A purpose. And said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it using all its vast resources in the service of God and men. You guys know I love this verse because this verse is our mandate. It is our created purpose. Be fruitful 
Live a life of productive beauty, bringing things to the fullness of their potential. Multiply, reproduce the life of God in you, in the world around you. Fill the earth or the area of influence and authority you have with the knowledge of the glory of the goodness of God. Subdue it. Bring order to the chaos and then use your resources to accomplish God's purposes in the lives of men. It's what you were created for, for mission. And at every major juncture along the Bible, you'll watch as God redeclares this. Noah gets off the boat and he says, hey, Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Abraham makes the covenant with God and he says, Abraham, you're blessed to be a blessing. The Israelites go in to take the promised land and he says, increase and advance little by little and take the land. Jesus, as he's being lifted up to heaven, he says, therefore, go and make disciples. This is what we were created to do. So can I just ask you, does your life in this hard season look anything like this verse? Or is it the opposite? Instead of being fruitful, have you been barren? Instead of multiplying, have you been dividing, pulling away from everyone and everything? Instead of filling your areas of influence with the knowledge of the glory and the goodness of God, have you been filling your own life with media and news and darkness? Instead of subduing things, have you brought chaos and problems and and criticism to things? And instead of using your resources, have you been using God and man to get a whole bunch of resources for yourself? See, kings are on mission to see every person experience a kingdom life. Are you with me on this? And if you get all excited about the heart of a king up until this point, then you've completely missed the point of being a king. Because it's not about you ruling and reigning. It's about you releasing God's kingdom into the world around you. And this, my friends, is what we have to grab. We've been leading this series all to this point, And so I really want to encourage you. You've got to grab this truth in your life or you have completely missed the purpose of being a king. I don't care if you have a theology that says you're royalty and you have the heart of a king if you don't live the purpose of a king. Completely misses it. Come on, are you with me today? So let me give you a couple thoughts. First thing is this. Kings know it's not about them. All right. I hate to break this to you this morning, but it is not about you. I know. We think it is. We live like it is. We act like it is. We walk like it is. We talk like it is. We complain like it is. But it is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our comfort and our convenience and our opinions and our perspectives and our preferences. Kings understand that. In fact, check out this verse about David. I love this. David knew, like he grabbed this, that the Lord had established him as a king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. That's a killer verse, man. David knew, he understood That he didn't earn or deserve anything he had, but it was God's grace that established him as a king with the heart of a king for one reason and for one reason only, for the sake of his people. For the sake of others. That it wasn't about David, it was about the mission that God was on to redeem the earth. And that he had lifted David up for such a time and a place that this is why David was there and the same is true with you. Like, students, do you understand that you're in the school that you're in and the family that you are in, not for you, but for the sake of your peers and the sake of your family? Teachers, do you realize that you're in the classroom that you're in, in such a time as this, not for your good, but for the sake of the students that you lead? 
business people, do you understand that you're in the business that you're in with the influence or the authority or the job that you have for the sake of your coworkers, your employees, and your supervisors? Of families, do you realize you are in that crazy dysfunctional family that you wish you could get out of for the sake of them? Not for you, not for your good, not for your glory, but for them. Do you know that God has established you where you are for the sake of others? I, I mean, You've literally been placed as a hope carrier. Look at this graphic that we use around here all the time. We say, right, the kingdom of God is a movement of hope. That God wants his kingdom to come into every area of life, not just in the church, but through the church, the people of God. And he wants to see his kingdom established in all these areas of life. And, and let's be honest, you have been placed in these areas. Every person that's listening, you have been placed in more than one of these areas for the sake of others. So maybe we need to stop complaining and start contributing. Maybe we need to start realizing that maybe God has placed me here with the heart of a king to accomplish his mission in their lives. Like, come on, like, check this out this year. Every one of these areas of life has been rocked this year, has it not? Like, it's fascinating. All of the things that we trusted in, all of the places that we found security in, all of the things that honestly were idols in our life, they've been shaken. You're telling me family hasn't been shaken this year? You're telling me education hasn't been rocked to its core this year? Healthcare hasn't, businesses have been shuttered, government, let's, I'll just leave that for you later. I mean, media, right? I mean, every one of these things. So could it just be that God has allowed all of these kingdoms to be rocked to its core so that you and I would rise up and say, oh my goodness, I'm not here for my good and my glory. I'm here to see this thing become his kingdom in this time and this place. And so I'm here for a purpose. And this is what we've been doing all year. And so many of you, you're not, you don't even realize what we're doing. And that's okay. Like, like, do you know we were able to give a teacher gift and a note of encouragement to more than 14,000 teachers? D-I-S-D, A-I-S-D, G-I-S-D, and L-I-S-D. More than 14,000 teachers. Do you know we wrote a handwritten note to more than 1,000 healthcare professionals and brought gift baskets to the major centers of healthcare in our region where we do church? Do you know that we were able to write more than 3,000 handwritten cards to civil servants that are serving in government around our area with gift baskets and encouragement to them? Do you know we've written more than 1,000 handwritten notes to police officers in all the major cities and in, in the places where we have canvases. I mean, like, this is why we're here. This is the point. It's not about us. It's about us being here for the sake of others. Are you with me on that? Come on. Do you remember? Do you remember when John and James come to Jesus and they say, uh, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do for us. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that interesting that Jesus isn't afraid of bold requests? He's not afraid of a big faith. And they look at Jesus and they say, well, Jesus, we want to sit on the right and the left-hand side of you when you come into your glory. And it says, when the other ten disciples heard it, they became indignant. They weren't mad that John and James asked for that. They were mad that they didn't think about asking for it for themselves. 
And so look what Jesus does. He sits them down and he has a little conversation with them. He says, let me, let me teach you something about having the heart of a king. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, people of the world, lord it over them. They think it's about them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the son of man, me, even I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus says the world thinks it's about them. He says, but you're not a part of the world anymore. You've now been given the heart of a king. You belong to a kingdom and it's okay to want to be great. That just means you're going to be the best servant and and you're going to be the one that goes last and you're going to spend your life serving and giving everything you have for the mission. It's the heart of a king. And so can I ask you in this season, like, how have you made decisions about your life? Because we've all had to make a lot of decisions in this last season and how you've made those decisions tells you a lot about what you actually believe your mission or your purpose is. And if we're honest, a lot of us, we really didn't make decisions based on this. We probably made a lot of decisions based on comfort and convenience. I mean, let me just go ahead and and break this to you about our church. Like, like I have no interest in creating a church uh, that has a lot of comfort and convenience for us. (laughs) Some of you are like, we know. I know. Like zero. Why? Because it's not about us. I'm not here for me and you're not here for you. We're here for the lost, the lonely, and the broken. And every decision we make is about that. And so here's what I want to encourage you. If you ever don't like a decision that we make, before you get upset about it, just stop and think. There's a 99% chance that a bunch of people thought about this and prayed about this and believe this is the best way to reach the world. And of all the years I've done this, I've had hardly anybody that's ever come to me and said, we need to do more to reach lost people. I've had lots of people that have come and said, this isn't comfortable or convenient for me. Then it means we got it right. That's funny right there. Come on. When you stop living on mission, you start self-destructing. It's true for a family, it's true for an individual, and it's true for a church. You stop living on mission, you start self-destructing. There are three places that we watch David's life fall apart throughout his journey. All three of them went to when he stopped living on mission. First one was when he stayed in his palace and should have gone to war, and he ended up having the Bathsheba incident. Second one when there was a bunch of conflict and chaos in his family, and David didn't go on mission to establish the kingdom in his own family. He wanted comfort and convenience instead of dealing with the conflict, and it cost him dearly. And the third one was towards the end of his life, he goes out and counts all of his fighting men instead of going to battle with his fighting men, and God allows a significant consequence for that, and 70,000 of his people died. When you stop living on mission, you start self-destructing. And I watch this with people all the time. One of the most dangerous places you can be is a casual follower of Jesus that is completely disengaged from the mission. Because you think you've got the whole Jesus and kingdom thing down, but you're completely missing it. And so you start self-destructing. Like like Matthew 28, Jesus tells us, right? End of his life, here's what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I spent all week studying this verse, looking into the Greek, reading commentaries, just trying to find if there was a footnote that said, unless it's 2020. (laughs) Unless it's COVID. Unless I don't like what's happening in politics. Unless the economy is stressing me out. 
Sorry, guys. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, no matter what. Proverbs 11, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The reason so many of us are so weary is because we checked out a mission the moment things got hard. So we're weary and we're dry and we're thirsty and we're broken and we're like looking for help. But we're like, I can't do mission because that's hard and it's not comfortable. I know mission by nature is costly. And instead of taking the path of least resistance, we need to take the path of greatest purpose, of greatest mission, because that's what a king would do. Are you with me on this? Come on, are you with me on this? All right, second thing is this. Kings live attractive lives. Kings live attractive lives. There's something about the way a king lives that draws the world in. Check this verse out about David. It says, all those who are in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their leader. You know what this means? It means that the royalty of David's heart was so attracted, so attractive, that people who were orphaned, enslaved, and rebellious wanted to be around him. And this is when David is in the wilderness. This is when he is in the day. He doesn't have a palace. He doesn't have a kingdom. He doesn't have a nation. He has nothing to offer them. But the royalty of his heart was so attractive that all these men wanted to be around him. Why? Because the rebel heart is attracted to a royal life. And he's not the only king. Look at Jesus. Go to the next verse. Look at Jesus, the son of man, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Isn't it interesting that all the lost, lonely, and broken people wanted to be around Jesus? The people with the heart of a rebel, the heart of an orphan, the heart of a slave, they saw something in Jesus' life that they were attracted to and they wanted to be a part of. And so they were drawn in, whether it's Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, the lepers, the broken, the deaf, those that were demonically oppressed. There was something in the royalty of Jesus' life that drew them in. Why? Because life is attractive. And life is only found in the kingdom. And so can I ask you a really simple question? Are you living an attractive life? Like do lost, lonely, and broken people like to be around you? Maybe let me ask you to you like this. If you're a Republican, do Democrats like to be around you? And if you're a Democrat, do Republicans like to be around you? Okay. If you're a Cowboys fan, do Eagles fans like to be around you? It's like, for real. Ready? If you believe in wearing masks, do people who don't believe in wearing masks like to be around you? And if you don't believe in wearing masks, do people who believe in wearing masks like to be around you? I'm I'm dead serious right now. If you're a Gen Z, do boomers like to be around you? And if you're a boomer, do Gen Zers like to be around you? These are legit questions we have to ask ourselves because if the kingdom is within me, it's attractive and it will draw in people who are very different than me. Why? Because we have been set apart by grace for the good of others and the glory of God. You remember that? Our theme for the year that you've been set apart by God, for God, from this world, for this world, by grace, nothing that you did to do it, to earn it or deserve it, but it's for the good of others and the glory of God. And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but I don't have all these possessions that would attract people into my life. No, no, I'm not talking anything about the external. I'm talking about completely the internal. Do you know the Bible says there was nothing physically attractive about Jesus, and yet the whole world wanted to be around him. Why? Because it was the royalty within him. 
The men wanted to be around David, even though he was out in the wilderness. Why? Because the royalty within him. Listen, over the years, can I tell you, I've seen men, multi-million dollar men that want to be around a guy that doesn't have that much and sit in a circle with him. Why? Because the guy that doesn't have that much possessions had hope, love, peace, joy. And there was something so attractive that this successful businessman of this world wanted to be around this guy who the world would say had nothing, but the kingdom said had everything. Come on, are you with me on that? That was weak. <laughs> First Peter. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, like you do not belong in this world anymore. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. He says, hey, you need to live in such a way that is so different from this world that it is attractive to the world around you and that they will put their faith in God. We've got to move past just declaring. If the church of yesterday wants to declare. All we want to do is just declare. Everyone needs Jesus. Put it out there on the, uh, the airwaves and the atmosphere. That's all great. We need to declare, but then we need to demonstrate. We need to actually demonstrate a kingdom life. And that's like the heartbeat of our church. But we want to create this demonstration that people see you out in the areas of life. They see us and there's something so attractive about the way that we live that people are drawn in. The greatest missional tool you have is your life. It's the way you, do you remember? Do you remember when Jesus says to the crowd, he says, unless you people see signs and wonders and miracles, you'll never believe. We think that literally means like this supernatural parting of the heavens, a dead person being raised to life. All those things are real and they're true and God does them. But you know what I think it applies to in this season? You know what's a sign or a wonder or a miracle? Someone living with honor in an unhonorable world. Someone living with submission in a non-submissive world. Someone living with passion in, a, in an apathetic world. Someone guarding their heart in a world that doesn't care about heart. That is a sign and a wonder and a miracle. And if we will live that way, people will see and they will believe. So this whole living with the heart of a king, it's not about you. It's about living on mission to demonstrate the kingdom of God to the world around us. And so the question I would ask you for is just, are you drawn to your own life? Are you attracted to your own life? If the answer is no, then what are you going to do about it? Because kings live attractive lives. Hey, listen to me. Rebellion is counterfeit royalty. Rebellion is misplaced royalty. What is rebellion? Rebellion is using your authority, your influence, your resources, and your free will for your good and your glory. What's royalty? Royalty is using your authority, your influence, your resources, and your free will for the good of others and the glory of God. So when I live with a heart of royalty, guess what? Rebels are actually drawn into that because they're drawn into the authentic. They're drawn into the genuine because they're tired of living the counterfeit. Kings live attractive lives. Last thing is simply this. Kings use what they have. For the good of others and the glory of God. If you get nothing out of this year, if you've tracked with us as a church, I hope you leave this year with good of others and the glory of God drilled into your mind. Because that's what we were created for. That's David. 
David used his time, his talent, and his treasures for the good of others and the glory of God. His time. From the moment we see David as a teenager all the way to the end of his life, you can't find a long stretch where David's time is not used for mission. His talent. David was a multi-talented man. And whatever season he was in, he used the gifts that God had given him fully in that season. Like when he was a shepherd, he used his gifts of being a shepherd. And, and when he was a, a worshiper for Saul, he used his gift of worship. And, and then when he was a warrior, he used his warrior gifts in that season. And then when he was leading Israel, he used his leadership gifts in that season. And what's interesting, if you'll read through the scriptures, you'll never find David complaining about the gifts he wasn't using. David is never in the pasture complaining that he's not using his worship gift. He's never in a season of worshiping using his worship gift complaining that he's not using his warrior gift. He's never warrioring complaining that he's not using his leadership gift. Like whatever season he was in, he used the gift that was needed for that season. And so many of us sit around and complain that our gifts aren't being used. Can I just tell you something? God isn't concerned about the gifts you aren't using. He's concerned about the gifts you should be using. We want to sit there and complain that my gifts aren't being utilized. Okay, but are you using the gifts that you need for the season that you're in? That's giving your talent to God and then treasure. At the end of David's life, I've got verses for you. I don't have time for them. David gives everything that he has to build the temple because of his devotion and his love and his grace to God. So can I just ask you a really simple question? Are you using your time, your talent, and your treasure for the good of others and the glory of God. Like your time. Like if we looked at your calendar, is there any time right now that's for mission? And you're like, but it's COVID-19. It should really probably be called COVID-20, but I don't know where that came from. It's COVID-19. I understand that. But there's no asterisks around Matthew 28 because of COVID. So is any time, I'm, your talent, are you using your gifts in any way? To advance the mission of God, your treasure. Do you give your tithes, your offerings, the things you value? Maybe your social media account for the good of others and the glory of God. Like, like here's a simple question. Have you given these things to God? And it's not one time. It's like over and over again. God, I need to give you my time. God, I need to give you my talent. God, I need to, to give you my treasure. I, I want to give you my heart. Because if you remember the parable of the talents, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, so he's literally teaching us this is what the heart of a king would do. He says it's like a king who gave one guy five, one guy two, one guy one, and he went away. He entrusted them with something and said, put it to use. Okay, well, that's you. Time, talent, and treasures. And, and then the king comes back and he asks for an account of what they did with it. And the guy with five had turned it into ten. The guy with two turned it into four. The guy with one kept it for himself, buried it in the ground. It was about his good and his glory. And, and in that, we realize that when we use what we have for the good of others and the glory of God, we not only get eternal rewards, we get a kingdom legacy. Like, like, like two more verses. Just track with me. Check this verse out about Absalom. This is Absalom, David's son, who has the heart of a rebel and the heart of an orphan. And he overthrows David and becomes the king. But look what this says. During his lifetime, Absalom, who was in the seat of a king, had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself. For he thought, I have no son to carry on the memory of my name. I don't have time to get into this. Some of you, you should just go home and read this section for yourself. Check this out. Because he never lived on mission, he spent his life building monuments to himself. 
Because they never lived on mission. You say, oh, that's physical children. No, that's be fruitful and multiply. That's called make disciples. Because he never lived for the good of others and the glory of God. He lived for the good of himself and the glory of himself. He had to spend his life trying to build a legacy. The only problem is, is when you spend your life for your good and your glory, not only will you not get a legacy, you won't get eternal rewards. But when you live for the good of others and the glory of God, you get a legacy and eternal rewards. A whole bunch of us are spending our lives building monuments to ourselves because we're not living on mission with God. Does that make sense to you? And I know some of you are like, well, what does that mean? It's a thousand things. It might just mean inviting somebody to church. It might literally mean posting something on your social media. It might be getting involved on a serve team or hope on the move stuff. It might literally be mentoring a student. It might be having your neighbors over for dinner. It might be giving a gift card to a person that you see regularly as you're building this relationship with them. It might be just being the person who has hope in a room full of despair. Listen to me, mission leads to mission. If you just get started, God will start showing you all these amazing things that start opening up. And you're like, oh, my goodness, there it is. And I know some of you, you're like, bro, I can't believe that I tuned in to church today to hear about mission. Don't you know how hard life is right now? I sure do. But you were created for mission. And one of the greatest things you can do for somebody who is suicidal is give them purpose. Why? Because purpose leads to hope and hope leads to life. And if you have no interest in mission, check this last verse out. For Christ's love compels us that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. If I'm not compelled to live on mission, I've lost sight of God's love for me. If you're not compelled to live on mission, if you're resistant, if you're edgy, if you're frustrated, if this bothers you, you've lost sight of God's love for you. Because what a king understands at the end of the day is that the grace of God has been so good to me that he's rescued me. He came to seek and save me. He pulled me out of the darkness. He pulled me out of despair. He pulled me out of brokenness. He gave me a new heart, a new mind, a new life, a new future. And now I can't help but live on the mission that he's on. The great privilege of your life and my life is that we get to be on a mission that matters. To reach lost, lonely, and broken people. To bring the kingdom of God, your kingdom come, your will be done in every area of my life and beyond in Jesus' name. Come on. What does mission or lack thereof say about the current reality of your heart condition? A rebel is on mission to do what they want, when they want, how they want. A Pharisee is on mission to look really good on the outside and spend their life judging and correcting everyone else. A slave is on mission to complain and criticize and whine and, and, and moan about how hard and bad life is. And an orphan is on mission for their good and their glory with a heart full of insecurity, fear, and a poverty mindset. But a king, a king is on mission to see every person experience the kingdom life that Jesus has come to offer us.
Come on, Valley Creek. This is a time and a season for us to rise up and say everything that we are, everything that exists here, everything in my life is for the mission of God. Because that's God's purpose in our generation. For this cause, you were born. For this cause, you have come. Let's align our lives with it in Jesus' name. So close your eyes with me. What do you think the Holy Spirit wants to say to you today? Aren't you glad that Jesus demonstrated what the heart of a king looked like by going on mission for us? That the king of kings literally laid down his life and poured himself out to come to this world and live the life that we couldn't live to show us what the kingdom was all about. That for you, he laid down his life on that cross and rose again from the grave three days later and released the spirit of the living God inside of you and gave you the divine nature of who he is. And now he sends us out on that same mission because when you become a part of the kingdom, the kingdom becomes your life. And the kingdom is all about mission. And so don't let this be one of those big ethereal messages like, oh yeah, mission, people need to get saved and meet Jesus. Yeah, that's true. But what about mission in your life? What about just the mission to live a life that's attractive to those around you? What about just the mission to just be kind to those around you? What about the mission to just offer God your time, your talent, and your treasures? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just stir up within us a burning, passionate, white, hot desire for mission. Lord, we just declare to you, you can have our church. We're not here for comfort or convenience. We're here on mission to reach the lost, lonely, and broken, to serve a city in need, to bring hope to the hopeless, life to the broken, healing to the sick, and freedom to those who are in bondage. And as we step out of our own lives, we find all those things for ourselves along the way. So Lord Jesus, may we be people who live with the heart of a king on mission to see your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray, amen.